All right, so this is part three of the ongoing series I'm doing on discipleship, which is a key part of our life. As you know, I spoke about the fact that salvation is a day one experience where you become saved, but that God wants us in day two for the rest of your life where you pick up your cross and you follow him and walk with him as a disciple. Uh, And so what we're going to talk about today in this sermon is the character of Christ, the quality of his life. What can we learn from looking at the character of Jesus and how it impacts us as disciples? And so in this sermon, we'll discuss again what it means to imitate the character of Jesus Christ. That's what we, he wants us to do, imitating his character. Uh, and the whole point of the imitation of the character of Jesus Christ is the very transformation, you see, of our own character, that God does this with the Holy Spirit as we became Christians. And so this must become a permanent and inward change, constantly changing, becoming more like Jesus every day of our life in order to work for the kinds of purposes that he would have us do. Now, in walking as disciples and in imitating the life of Christ, we need to study his very lifestyle. And that's what I'm going to focus on today. What attitudes did Jesus adopt as he confronted a lost world? Uh, And we need to define that uh, and refine it as it applies to us as we imitate Jesus in our lives. Now, the first example that we see in the life of Christ is what I call the issue of service. Service. Jesus was ultimately the greatest servant who would ever live in this world. He, he indicated very clearly that he did not come to be served. Even though he was God, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the lost. And his washing of the disciples' travel-soiled feet is so... Uh, emblematic of what that's about. And you know that story. The pretext of that story, which is not often talked about, but the pretext of that story is that the disciples were debating and arguing about themselves who would have priority in the kingdom and who would sit at the right hand of Jesus, the right and the left hand. Even uh, uh, the apostle John's mother uh, came to Jesus to argue on uh, their behalf that they could get to be on the right hand of Jesus. Can you imagine? She was a typical Jewish mother advocating for her kids. But Jesus wanted to cut through all of that. It wasn't about where you are in priority, where you are in leadership. It's about where you are as a servant. You understand? Where you are as a servant. And you see, this resonates to us today. And so look what Jesus says in John 13. Uh, chapter 13, verses 13 to 17, and Jesus said there, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is an incredible statement by God, by God himself, uh, as he differentiates secular leadership from Christian leadership. You would never hear a secular leader talk about servanthood. Never. 
But you see, in the kingdom of God, that's the essence of greatness. That's what this church is about. That's what all these ministries are about. We are serving each other, and as we serve each other, we are the hands and feet of God. Look also in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 28, and it says there, and Jesus speaks again to his disciples, not so with you, he says. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There it is. That's what Jesus was all about. That was the very essence of who he was, a servant in every way. That's our role in discipleship. We are to be servants. Don't worry about your position. Don't worry about your title. Don't worry about your priority. Worry about how you are serving and who you are serving and how God sees that in in his eyes. Paul followed this up also uh, in a poignant scripture where he said to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human kindness. Can you imagine what that conference had to be between Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world were made? And God knew that this world needed a savior. And Jesus effectively volunteered to be the servant worship pastor, effectively the servant who would come to this world and give his life as a ransom, would come in human form, would come into a poor family, would be born in a cave, would walk with people that would never get him, would be surrounded by people who would persecute him and suffer him and cause him suffering. And yet he would walk every day of his life to the cross because he knew that was the goal that God had set for him. That is your servant. That is your God. That is your Messiah. Oh, Lord Jesus, you inspire us so much as we see this. This is how we are to live. This is what we need to be. And so Paul effectively demonstrated that in his own life. Uh, you know, on the island of Malta. And in that Malta position, they had had a shipwreck. And several hundred people are tossed into the water. Uh, And now they come on the island of Malta. And Paul, instead of being shocked and out of it because of, of the shipwreck, he sits there effectively as a servant gathering wood for the fire. He didn't look to say, hey, you people know who I am. He's there, instead he sits there and gathers the wood. Well, while he's gathering the wood, a poisonous viper reaches out and bites him. And this is a viper that on that island, people died from those bites immediately. And instead, he shook the viper off into the fire. God protected him. And so the inhabitants of the island saw this. And when they saw it, they were awestruck. And they viewed Paul as a god. Well, of course, he told them he wasn't God, but that opened the door to talk to them about Jesus. And much of that island became saved. They became saved because he was a servant, because he bowed to God in servanthood, and God used that. And this is an incredible example for us 
as well. That when you do these menial tasks, which maybe the world looks as menial, you will never know. You will never know how the world is touched. I recently preached at a funeral uh, about a man who, who effectively was responsible for me to start uh, the Monday morning Bible studies, who came to me in church without ever really knowing who I was. And yet he walked as a servant of God. He came up to me and said, how about you and me starting a Bible study in Port Royal? That was in 2006. I never knew the man. I was never introduced to the man. Yet God uh, incited his heart to do that. You see, that's how servants are. They look for opportunities. Well, that match was lit. And as a result of that, thousands of people really have come to God, not just in Naples through the Bible study, but on the radio in 500 radio stations in 50 states. He had no idea that he was lighting the match that God had given him. You see, that's the essence of discipleship. My goal for each one of you is to be like that as well. And so when we look now at Jesus, besides servanthood, what also we see is the quality of patience and endurance great qualities of, of the Lord that we must imitate, patience and endurance in our daily walk. The writer in Hebrews speaks about this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Not grow weary or lose heart when you see as your mentor Christ Jesus. That's how you walk in discipleship. Uh, and that's the example as we look at his endurance and his, his, his uh, commitment and perseverance in the face of all kinds of opposition. Now, when Peter speaks uh, of the example of Jesus suffering uh, for us, he goes on to say, uh, and this is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Can you imagine living your life like that? That when you're persecuted or when you're suffering or where people attack you, that you don't attack back, that you restrain yourself. We know that Stephen followed that very example in his own life uh, as the stones were raining down upon him, as he prayed to God, Lord, lay not this sin to their feet. Can you imagine speaking like that uh, to people? Uh, who are out there actually killing him. And I want to give you a personal example from my own life on this issue. Because, you know, I spent my life in court defending others. That's what I was designed to do, defend others. And I was in courtrooms all over the United States where I would defend people from all different, and corporations from all kinds of charges. Well, there came a time here in Naples when I faced tremendous persecution and suffering. And as, as we were leaving our last church under very sad circumstances, and many of you were leaving at the same time, uh, and you know that even though I had been preaching to 500 people uh, in two Bible studies every week, yet we were slandered and persecuted and lied about 
uh, as we exited that church from those in the very highest authority in church. Now, don't you think that there was a side of me that wanted to reach out and pull out their windpipes? I mean, I was wired like this. All right? I was wired like this. And yet, under the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, all right, and an accountability partner of my wife, God restrained me. I never spoke a word against them. I never publicly said what they did to me in any way. And let me tell you, people were reaching out to me. You know the people that did that movie, Enemies Within, they wanted to film a segment on me. And I said no. Then Christianity Today magazine called me. They wanted to write an article, and I said no. All right? And then at least five other internet journalists reached out to me, and in each and every case, I said no. I said no because God had called me to be the pastor of this church. <clears throat> and the pastor of this church doesn't go around attacking other churches. The pastor of this church stands for God and lets God fight the battles. If there's justice to be determined, it's God. And that's the essence of being a disciple of Christ. Even when you want to do something that's not right, God restrains you. I hope that every one of you has that feeling in your life, that wherever you are, that you feel the restraining power of the Holy Spirit uh, as God transforms you and changes your character. This is a critical aspect of walking in the day two experience. Look, we're not the same people. I'm not the same guy I was when I would go to court every day. I've been changed by Jesus Christ, and I'm being changed daily, daily, just as you are, just as we all are. Uh, and so we shall all have the opportunity, you see, all uh, to develop the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which we're talking about here, patience, endurance, uh, and, and even when unbelievers oppose us. And let me say this, perhaps the greatest opposition you will face in your life will come from other believers in the church. Uh, and I'm sorry to say this, but what will happen is people will misperceive what you're doing. Uh, they may not agree with how you're doing ministry. And unfortunately, some people don't have a kindly way of expressing their opinion. And so let me say this to you. If this comes up and somebody in the church does something hurtful to them, you need to forgive them 70 times, seven times. You need to forgive them because this is what divides a church. And I would say to you who are bitter and have anger in your heart, even as it relates to church activities, get on your knees and ask God to wash your heart out. Because that is not the essence of the Spirit of God. We don't live that way. When I look here, even if I see someone that maybe disagrees with me, I have to get on my knees and say, Father, help me to understand their mindset. Lord, don't let me be harsh. Don't let me be cruel. Let me be kind. Let me walk like Jesus walked. You see, that's the essence of discipleship. And so next after endurance, as we've talked about with Christ, the servants of God are authenticated, authenticated by troubles, by hardships and distresses. This is how you see who are the servants of God. You see them as they walk through dark times, 
through distresses, through hardships. We need endurance because suffering will be a common experience. Let me make this as clear as I can. How did it work out for the first 11 guys Jesus called? Was it a bed of roses? Was every day a glorious day without problems? It's all good. And then at the end, they all were brought into heaven, just like Elijah on the chariot of fire, right? No, no. Every one of them was martyred. Every one of them was either crucified or beheaded, all right? It was awful, and yet they understood that what they were doing was the greatest call on their life. That's what it is for us. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, you're going to receive uh, persecution. And I, you need to understand this. Look what Paul said uh, to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering <clears throat> with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. In the midst of suffering, you welcomed us with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Yes, and I know that right now many of you are suffering. You're here today, but you're suffering. God sees your pain. The Lord sees your pain. I want you to know that. And we as a church pray for you and lift you and affirm you uh, because we walk together. This is what it means to be a disciple. And so Jesus, you see, did not just suffer on the cross, and I want you to consider this, he suffered homelessness where he had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a proper home. Uh, he was misunderstood by his family. His own brothers and sisters never accepted him as the Messiah. In fact, his brother James only came to faith after Christ ascended into heaven. How do you like that? His own brothers and sisters didn't get him. Uh, and so he then suffered the unbelief of others. Can you imagine what that's like when you're walking because God had given you this task? You're walking to be the Messiah of this world, and yet all around you is filled with unbelief. You know, if you took a vote on what percentage of people believe Jesus, as distinguished from those who didn't believe, I would, I would guess that probably only 10% of those he came into contact with believed him. We know afterwards that changed. But at the time that he walked and sermonized and lived, uh, most people did not believe him. Think about the pain of that. And then if you want to wonder, really, wonder what kind of God Jesus was, does he feel your pain or is he immune from pain? Look at what he did when he got to the tomb of Lazarus. This was one of his dearest friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And there he is, Lazarus, buried for four days. Now, don't you know Jesus stood there knowing he was about to bring Lazarus out of the tomb. And yet the Bible gives us the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That's your Savior. That's your Messiah. He wept. Why did he weep? Because his heart was broken, you see. It was broken not for Lazarus, who would be called back from the dead, but his heart was broken as he saw the world was broken from sin and that the world was never designed to die and to perish. This creation was never subject to decay, and yet we had forced it by accepting sin. Oh, my Lord Jesus, how great you are, how great your heart is, and how much you love us, and what an example we see for you even 
in this moment of clarity as to your heart. This is how we are to be disciples in, in this act of gentleness. Now, uh, despite, you see, despite the clarity, the fierce clarity of Jesus' message uh, to the religious leaders and hypocrites, you know that Jesus opposed the Pharisees because they were worshiping religiosity. They weren't worshiping God. And he speaks here so clearly uh, in gentleness. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And there, Paul says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. You see that? Even Paul, you, you come away and saying, Paul, you're timid? Yes, timid before the cross, humble before the cross, because I know what God is calling me to do. I'm doing that even now as I speak to you. Yes, you may say to me, you seem to be uh, such a powerful speaker, but I bow to the cross of God. I bow to Jesus Christ. I weigh every single word. Lord, is every word that I'm giving to this congregation your word? That's the timidness and humility uh, that God wants us to do. Look even as you see Jesus walking into Jerusalem the last time, right before he'll be persecuted and, and die on the cross. Uh, and he comes in on a donkey. Look at Matthew 21, verse 5, where it says there, uh, say to daughter Zion, and look at those verses. It's a, it's a citation out of the Old Testament. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Can you imagine? Here is the creator of the world, the Messiah himself, coming into Jerusalem for the last time. And as the crowds are saying, Hosanna, and laying down the palms, he comes in on a donkey. Do you think any king would come in to his kingdom on a donkey? No kingdom of this world would do it, but only Jesus Christ. That's the nature of what it means to be humble and gentle in every way, in every way. And so you see this. Um, and and Paul, Paul urged that the Philippians, the Philippian church, makes their gentleness evident to all. And I would commend this to our church because I love this about our church. And I would ask you all to continue to exhibit those qualities. Here's what he said uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said this, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be kind to your enemies. That's how the world will know who you are. Be kind to those who despise you and persecute you. Don't have bitterness and revenge in your heart. That's how we are transformed and how we're changed. And the key to that is to pray for them. Oh, Brother John, pray for them. That's what God wants you to do. You pray for them. You pray that God reveals himself to these people. And that's why Jesus could say, my yoke is easy. Uh, we are not meant to be short-tempered or rough or unkind. And Jesus chastised James and John when they wanted to call fire down on that Samaritan village because they were not treated properly. And Jesus said, stop it. Stop it. We're not calling fire down on anybody. Uh, we have to pray for them. And so in our discipleship, 
as we imitate Christ in every way, uh, we need to, to be respectful of differences of opinion, uh, even within the church, even within the church. Uh, there's nothing like controversy in a church to split it. And so if you find something that maybe you don't agree with, you pray about it. And then you quietly go and speak to the leadership about it. But don't start a rhubarb or an argument over something that's being done in the church because people are trying to advance the kingdom of God. Look around you. We're meant to be servants, to love each other, to advance the kingdom of God, uh, to be kind, not cruel, not bitter, not revengeful. Uh, and so as we do this, I have to emphasize again the quality of humility. Uh, from the very beginning of his time in the world, Jesus humbled himself towards God. He humbled himself towards God. Now remember, he was equal with God. He was co-God. In fact, God designated Jesus to be the creative agent of this world. Uh, and look at, at what it said in Matthew 23, verse 12. Uh, as Jesus said, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the essence of what we do as disciples. We humble ourselves. We bow to God. We serve. We walk. We advance the interests of others. We're not worried about our title. We're not worried about our position. We let God take care of, of all these things uh, in a powerful way. Uh, and so the death of Jesus is the supreme act, the supreme act uh, of obedience. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation of all who obeyed him. Don't you think Jesus could have walked away from the cross if he wanted to? Don't you think he had the authority to call 10,000 angels down and to take them off the cross? Of course he did. Of course he did. Satan understood this. He would do everything in his power to make Jesus looked like he was not one of us, but Jesus went to the cross as a human being, as the ultimate sacrifice. And so Jesus is your role model in so many ways, certainly of obedience to the general will of the Father. And so we are intent also uh, reminded to, to obey God in the same way that Christ did. And once there's a great example of Jesus speaking out about this in Luke chapter 11, verse 27, and there a pious woman in the crowd as Jesus goes by says the following, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Jesus replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. How do you like that? That pretty poignant? You know, we, we know that there are religious denominations who we respect who indicate in some ways that they pray to Mary, that she's elevated in a higher status. Uh, but you can see here that that's not the way that Jesus looks at it. Blessed rather. Yes, he loved his mother, but blessed rather are those who obey the will of God. You. That's who God wants you to be, a person who's blessed because you're obeying the will of God. 
And so as disciples now, we are to be like the Lord Jesus uh, in our love for God. Everything that we do has to be wrapped with love. Love is the final finishing touch of all the qualities that I've described here. Love towards our fellow believers, first of all, and love towards all mankind. It is the very first fruit of the Spirit, uh, and it encompasses all other. And you see what Paul said about this in the magnificent love chapter in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 1 and 2. Uh, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look, do you want a happy marriage? Put love in it. If you want, if you want a relationship with your children, put the love of Jesus Christ in it. If you want to have happiness in whatever endeavor you have in life, wrap it in the love of God. I don't care where you go or what you do, if it's wrapped in the love of God, you will have success. And this is why I can say this, and I say it often in marriage ceremonies, uh, that when I look at two people that are desperately in love with each other, uh, and, you know, they're 22 years old, and they both look beautiful, but there will come a day. There will be a day, maybe 50 years later, when you look in the mirror in the morning and you say, who is that stranger looking back at me? All right. When the vicissitudes of time and gravity take hold, and all of a sudden it's not the same handsome man or the same beautiful woman. But here's the thing. If Christ is embedded in that house, it is the same. Because in every relationship you see Jesus first. And you thank Jesus for what he has given you in that partner. And you worship Christ Jesus. That's how you live as a disciple. That's what separates us from the world. You understand? That's what makes us so different in so many ways. Uh, and so we need to live our lives wrapped in this way. Uh, and in and, and every possible way. Essentially, we must take Jesus Christ as our role model in every aspect of discipleship. He is your model. Look at the way he lived. Look at the way he conducted himself. Look at how he handled persecution and suffering. And so now, here's the important part. Now, you have to reach out to people who have never come to church. Oh, what do you mean? They don't talk like me. They don't dress like me. Uh, I feel uncomfortable with them. Well, you know what? Jesus says get comfortable with them. Get comfortable with them. Because the role that you've been given by God is to go out for people like that and to bring them from the sidewalk into the church. Nobody is going to be changed by God if we keep them out in the sidewalk. Amen? You understand that? Bring them from the sidewalk into church. Christ had a supernatural capacity to be a part of people no matter who they were. It never mattered if they were in the gutter. If they were in the gutter, he was there with them. It didn't matter if they were tax collectors or prostitutes. He made them feel at home. He loved them. He surrounded them with love and made them understand what it meant 
to be drawn to Jesus Christ. If they were suffering, he suffered with them. Uh, and, and he dealt with the most hard-hearted religious people that the world would ever know. The greatest example for us is living that kind of life. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is how God wants you to live. He wants you to look like this and to embrace the lost and to bring them in, to be the kind of disciple that Jesus expects us to live. This is how we are to live. This is how we are to walk, embracing him as our role model. And our lives will never be the same. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this message, for Jesus, for his example to us as the ultimate mentor of discipleship. Lord, his life transforms us. And so, Father, I ask that as we leave here today, we reflect on this life and that it helps to change us as we put your spirit in our heart and that we are born, Father, and drawn to be the kind of people you want us to be. Lord, bless our church. Let this message continue to resonate and be with them and bring them safely back next, next week as well as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.